And let's be clear, we exist only as a Great Commission people. We exist in order that sinners will hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and believe and be saved from all the nations. The marching orders of the Church of Jesus Christ were to go into all the world and preach the gospel because the gospel has the power unto salvation. This is what it means to follow Christ. A call to live, a call to die, a call to spend your life for Jesus here and around the world until he returns. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. I'm your host, Paul Aiken. Our guest today is Andy Campman. Andy serves as the long-term mobilization director at the Austin Stone in Austin, Texas. Andy is one of the most passionate guys that I know about sending people to unreached peoples around the world. Andy is a friend and has been an encouragement to me for many years now. Andy, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Hey, thanks so much, bro. Appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. Why don't you start, Andy, by just telling us a little bit about who you are and what you currently do at the Austin Stone. Yeah, you bet, man. I grew up in this massive state called Iowa up north. Most Texans don't know where that exists. Grew up doing college ministry there and then kind of switched from college ministry into mobilization once I learned about the unreached and then started this thing called Launch Global about 15 years ago. Started under a different name, my wife and I, uh, with a couple of couples, really with the core desire, kind of like you mentioned, to recruit and train people to go to the unreached, to plant churches. And so then about 10 years ago, the Austin Stone had this great vision to send a lot of people to the unreached long-term. And there's a guy, the missions pastor, and he's like, man, I think y'all's infrastructure, the things you're doing in training people, that's what our church needs to really step into the, the full vision. And so about 10 years ago, we moved down here to Austin, Texas, and so glad to get to be a part of our church. Awesome. Okay. That's really helpful. So the theme of the podcast season this season is on sending well. And so we're looking at a variety of different facets on how local churches, how individual Christians can go and be sent well. And one of those things is thinking about even this word send or sending. So just kind of a question to start for you, Andy, should local churches care? Should they spend a lot of time, energy, effort on caring about equipping and sending their people out into the world? Yeah. I mean, there's a real a basic answer of obviously the answer is yes. You know, you just look at creation, fall, redemption, restoration, and you say, man, clearly God created the world. Clearly all the world fell. When Jesus came, he came to redeem all the world. Like up some people's Revelation 5, 9, he ran some people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. And then that's what we're in the process of restoring right now. And so to not step into this idea of really sending is to not be a part of what I would say is the full gospel. Or you even look at Luke 24 and Luke records and says that Jesus opened their minds to the scriptures and you look at the list, right? So Luke is summarizing what Jesus said is the summary of the scriptures. He talks about the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. And so again, when you summarize the Bible, when Jesus is summarizing the Bible, the nations proclaiming the gospel to the nations is a part of that. And so there's really, it's not this choice. You know, it's like, should I pray or not? We don't talk like that. But sometimes we like, should our church be about sending to the nations? And we're like, well, we we start to make a list of excuses. I just think biblically, we don't have that option. 
Mm, amen. I want to agree 100% with you. And one of the reasons I wanted to have the conversation with you is because and one of the topics I want to talk about is what does it look like for a local church to really try to develop a sending pipeline? I know that's something that you have really devoted your life to for the last decade plus. And so I want to start by asking kind of the first question, what is a mission sending pipeline and why do you think it's important for a local church? Yeah, I think a, lot, a couple of different ways to say this, but like clarity to carry out convictions that God gives. In other words, you're providing kind of the means, a pipeline is the means to carry out the things God's doing in people's lives. So why that matters is because when we don't have a clear pipeline to the nations or to the unreached, we are actually stifling people from living in their full kingdom potential. One of the ways that we define mobilization sometimes is helping people step into their full kingdom potential. And so I just think about like, and it's not just this category, but like moms every year that we get to train. So most of the people that we train are in their mid twenties to mid thirties, that kind of post-college crew that they're the least complicated to mobilize. We definitely mobilize some older folks than that. We mobilize a few that are younger, but the majority are in that 20 to 35 range. You know, some of the folks that we mobilize are young moms. And I think there's some stereotypes out there, like I'll follow my husband's conviction, for example, or maybe it's vice versa. And the wife has this strong conviction and the husband's just like, well, I guess that's her thing. And so part of the training piece is helping people step into seeing that they can be a part of this. And so every year, for example, I think about this gal that's in Turkey now, she's just quiet, reserved grew up in the church, didn't really know how to share her faith, hadn't done it very much. And my wife and another leader in our group came alongside her, helping her share with the internationals in our community. They see some women come to faith. So she taught her how to ask that question. They see her come to faith, then teach her practically how and what to do on the backside of that. And so it's just like, man, and now they've been in Turkey for the last six years proclaiming the gospel to Muslims. And she and her husband and their family, they got a bunch of kid, young kids are living in it. And don't hear me say that the only way to live in full kingdom potential is to go overseas. I think about some other friends of ours that were a part of one of our nine month training groups, which we'll get to here in a second. And they're living just across town in Austin. And they gathered a few people in their neighborhood and said, what does it look like for us to be making disciples, pushing out the kingdom, be about the world from right here in Austin. And so not everybody goes, but that question of, are we empowering people to live in their full kingdom potential? That's why pipelines are important. Mm, that's a good word. I, I like the reference even there to not only global sending, but also local. And I, I do want to chase down some more thoughts on local sending here in a little bit. Maybe, can you share what you think are maybe a few of the critical ingredients to starting a missions sending pipeline. Maybe there's some folks that are listening and they're like, you know, this all sounds great, but I really have no idea kind of what some of the key pieces are. Can you tell us what some of those key ingredients might be? Yeah. Number one, I think just a conviction about the unreached or the nations, about seeing the unreached specifically worship Jesus. And so I can still remember, we still celebrated as a family. February 25th is like our day of discovery. We heard this guy, Todd, go from Genesis to the maps and just unpack God's heart for the nations. First time we'd ever seen all of it together. And it was like we were awakened. And so in our churches, there has to be, and more than just a once a year sermon, that's good, but there has to be a place where they can really 
receive and like get in their loins, you know, this deep conviction for God to be worshiped among all the peoples of the earth. So that's number one. Number two is there has to be a space. And again, this can't be in a classroom. It has to be hands-on. So we're really big on the head, heart, hands, and all three of those are uber important. And I think none of us would say the American church is known for having really big, strong hands, you know, and I'm not trying to rip on the church. She's beautiful and we want to make her as beautiful as she can be. And that's the real goal. And so part of that is practically showing our people, what does it mean to make disciples? And I'm not talking about an older believer meeting with a younger believer. You know, sometimes we joke and call that Denny's discipleship, right? And we meet once a week in the restaurant or the coffee shop. And that's a good thing. That's a biblical thing. But when Jesus was talking about making disciples in Matthew 28, he wasn't telling the boys to go into Jerusalem to Starbucks and meet with each other. He was telling them to make new disciples because otherwise we wouldn't be here, me and you and all the people listening. He was speaking specifically. And so we have to actually show, go out into the community, whatever that form looks like, into the parks, grocery stores, our workplaces, our neighborhoods, and actually start Jesus conversations, invite people to read the scriptures, see them come to faith and teach them to do the same thing. And the reason that that relates to mission sending is because disciple making, like Jesus was talking about in Matthew 28, is the core of church planning. You can't plan a church among the unreached if you can't make a disciple that makes a disciple. That's how the unreached are going to be reached. And so a conviction for the unreached showing our people practically how to make disciples. And the third one might surprise you, but you need a team of people. I know this is going to be harder, and we're going to talk about this in a little bit for maybe churches that are a little smaller, but if we don't empower some folks to really own mobilization within our churches, it'll just get the leftovers because everybody's got so much. And so if you're a pastor of a a four or 500 person church, nobody's doubting how much effort you're putting in, right? And how much you probably even want some of your people to go to the nations. But from just a bandwidth perspective, you don't have the energy effort and not to mention missions pastors. I mean, it's the same thing. So let's bump up to 1,500, 2,000. That size church is probably going to have a missions pastor. But the reality is they're probably local and global. So at best, global is going to get 50%, probably less than that, right? Let's call it 60-40. And of that 40%, the majority of that's going to be taken up by short-term trips then if they're, let's say we got a little bit left, that's going to be taken by missionary care. And now they've got like one to 3% of their time left toward mobilization and training people to go long-term. And there's, so there's just no way, even in a 2000 person church that even if that pastor, I remember talking to a missions pastor, he's like, man, I love the vision of what you guys are doing. I wish I got to do that. And I said, well, how much of your time? And he walked me through that progression. And he's like, I get to do that maybe 5% of the time. And that's a guy that wants to do it. And so I think having a team of people that's really commissioned by the church, empowered by the church to free their folks up, to free the pastors up, to focus on the things they've been called by God to do, but then to intentionally have a group of people that's focused on long-term mobilization is a key that we often miss. Mm, That's good. I love where you started there with that conviction that this is God's mission to get the gospel to every people, tribe, tongue, language, nation. There's got to be a conviction there that's based out of the scriptures that then's the driver for everything else that we do. So I I love hearing about the way you describe that. 
In today's uncertain world, there's an urgent need for competent biblical counselors who can offer hope and help through the whole counsel of God's Word. Are you called to be a counselor? A degree in biblical counseling from Southern Seminary is designed to equip students with the biblical foundation and professional skills needed to help others navigate the struggles and challenges of everyday life. This degree prepares graduates to minister to individuals, couples, and families in church, nonprofit, or missional settings. To learn more about Master of Divinity, Master of Arts, and doctoral degrees available through the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary, go to sbts.edu bgs or go to the episode notes for this podcast and click the link to the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary. There you'll learn how podcast listeners can save $40 when applying for classes. That web address again is sbts.edu bgs. We've kind of gone a little bit from theoretical, and I want to drop down to more practical. I would love for you to share briefly, what does your sending pipeline look like? What's the process? How does it work? A couple things. We've been in this, and we're not the experts. Our way is not the way, but it is a way, and by God's grace, it's gained traction, but it's been a process. It didn't look like this 15 years ago, not even close. And so just like my 15-year-olds, they have grown in size and it's matured and it's still, I would say in some ways, our process is a 15-year-old. It's an adolescent. It's got some great things about it and it's complicated and messy oftentimes. <laughs> and we love them. So for us, we're going to have a once a year, we're going to talk about this a little bit, but like a once a year for the whole church, just a challenge biblically. There's so many passages that we can preach out of. Somebody's going to preach a passage and challenge everybody in our whole church to go, not just to be about it, but actually to say, hey, why don't you take a few days, pray fast, and see if God would be stirring for you to to take a next step towards going. Because what we really want to do over, maybe I'll say to start out, we want to take Acts 13, where the Holy Spirit sends out Paul and Barnabas, and really lengthen that over a period of at least a couple of years, because people just aren't sure what God's doing. And so we want to come alongside them as the church and help them discern what God is doing. So we're going to do that calling. That would be number one. Number two, and now we're going to backtrack a little bit because for us, we have these 10 week groups and you can call them whatever, but we read this book called Spiritual Multiplication in the Real World by Bob McNabb. There's a, several different books you can read. What that does is it sets a foundation of disciple making for our people. And and it just real practically, like even to give you real practicals, what do they do in those groups, right? They do three, two, one. So every week for those 10 weeks, you commit to three hours of time with Jesus in his word. So that's probably one that most of us are doing kind of at least, you know, that's half an hour every day with a day of grace. But then the two and the one are where we really start to press in. The two hours is two hours among the lost every week with somebody else in the group. And so that means every week there's this commitment to go out and start to share our faith, start spiritual conversations, read the Bible with lost people. And you're going to do that with somebody else in the group. And every week you're going to get in your calendar before you leave the group, you're going to get, when are we going to do that? Who's my partner this week? And when are we going to go to do that? And then the last, the one is one hour of prayer as a group for the lost, because Luke 10 to Matthew 9, 37, prayer is really the foundation of this whole thing, both for the unreached and for our neighborhoods. Right. And so sometimes people are like, how have you guys seen all this stuff with the stone? I'm like, it's prayer. And people are like, yeah, 
we've heard that. And so actually a few of us on our team, this was a couple of years ago, we're like, let's add up the last eight years and how much prayers happened, 50,000 hours. And so if you're serious about sending, then you need to be serious about prayer. And it just needs to get into the DNA of all of your groups. So there's a calling to the nations. There's a 10-week group real practically that people start to learn what it means to make disciples. We've done different things. We've used perspectives classes in the past, but that conviction for the unreached, we actually, along with the Village Church up in Dallas and Redeemer out in Lubbock, developed this class called Mission of God. There's a lot of different ways. It's just maybe a little step down from perspectives, not quite so big and a little less reading and so thankful for perspectives. God used it so much in my own life. We have that with that piece where they get this conviction to see all the people's worship Jesus. And then there's this big ask for them to move actually into one of three neighborhoods in Austin. And the reason we say you're going to move is because you're in the fall. We always start these groups in the fall. You're going to start this nine-month training group, and you're going to live by the people you're doing life with. And for us, that nine-month group is really living out Acts 2, 42 to 47. Because a lot of times, if our only expression of church that we've ever experienced is the model that we all know on Sunday morning, and then we're going to India, that's probably not going to be where we're going to start, right? And so we have to experience what we're trying to plant. And so the purpose of getting people in these teams across Austin is that they're going to live in what we want them to plant when they or join a team and what they're going to plant overseas. And so for nine months, they live in these rhythms, kind of the three, two, one on steroids, and they're praying more and sharing more. But then we're also, I don't want to make it all skills-based. It really is at the center of that nine months is what does it mean to abide in Jesus deeply? Every missionary that I've talked to, when you ask them, how did you stay on the field? They're like, it goes back to your connection with the vine. How you connect with the vine or not is and will be the thing that sustains you. And so at the very center of all these other skill-based things has to be is what's motivating you to do this, your relationship with Jesus. And is your identity found not in the fact that you could be a missionary or a goer, but is it found in the fact that you enjoy Christ so much, you have to go tell people that don't have that connection. That's really the driver. And so during that nine months, our mobilization team We've got about an 11-person mobilization team with the stone, and they're discerning with the folks in those groups. There's eight to 10 people, now six to 10 people in each of those groups. They're discerning with those folks, is now the time they're supposed to go? What are the character things that need to be cooked out? How do they deal with their singleness? Are they doing the things or not doing their things? What are their marriage problems? How do they relate to their kids? And so it's not always just a green light rubber stamp, everybody goes. We're really discerning with them what needs to happen before they go to go as healthy as possible to the unreached. And then we help them actually connect with those overseas opportunities, whether it be with whatever agency or who they're going to go with. So that that process at the fastest takes two years. Okay, so you broke that down, kind of a 24-month process that you were able to break down into 10 weeks, nine months, a variety of other things that are connected in there. I liked what you were talking about there in the nine months in particular, which is kind of a segue to the next question about the role that local mission or local outreach plays in developing a mission-sending pipeline. You've already addressed that some. Is there anything else that you would, you would be able to add there? 
Yeah, I think the big one to communicate to folks is because, I mean, every church has this heart to reach their community. And sometimes we're like, man, local mission, global mission, they can feel like they're like this, but they're actually not. They're not at all. I just look at, and again, I want to be careful with the numbers. And again, this has taken years to get here. But last year on the back end of this pandemic, right, it's like, oh, can we really share our faith? Can we have these conversations? You know, and the answer is absolutely yes. Like we had five different nine month groups. So that's about 50 people when you include our staff. And then they're the ones that are actually leading these 10 week groups. And that was about 70 people. So let's call it about 120 people together that are kind of in our pipeline. Those 120 people talked to 3,300 people in the course of a year. And I'm just like, man, if you want to reach your city, have a mobilization pipeline, because the things that we're doing, and what's funny is only a handful of those folks of only a handful of those 120 are going to actually go to the nations. And so this is how local and global can beautifully fit together. And we, you know, we saw over 25 people say yes to Jesus, you know? And so it's just like, they are not at odds, friends. God has designed these things to be one in the same. But oftentimes, we don't have our mark far enough down the road. We just say reaching Jerusalem, and we forget Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And when we actually make the focus the ends of the earth, we reach Jerusalem better than we ever would have had that been where we stop our focus. Mm, that's a good word. You know, I, I, sometimes people will ask me, you know, I want to go and serve overseas, but what can I start doing now to prepare? And it's like, well, what, what do you think you're going to be doing overseas? You're going to be sharing the gospel. You're going to be making disciples. You're going to be spending time with Jesus. Let's start doing those things right now. And so I love the fact that you guys are are pushing that first and foremost there in Austin and then letting that shape and form where folks head from there. That's good. Okay, I want to chase down something you said earlier because I'm sure there are some people listening to this and they said, okay, it's great that he has a team of 11. Uh, <laughs> I'm a pastor of a church that's 60 people. I'm a pastor of 150 or 250 or 400 or 600. I don't have 11 people. So maybe can you talk some about... Is a, a sending pipeline only something that can be developed in a megachurch, or is this something that smaller churches can be engaged in as well? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and I, I want to be the first to admit, we have operated more in larger churches. So I just want to admit that. And we have some examples of what it can look like with smaller churches. And that's not a value thing, obviously. But the key, I think, is networks networks of small churches coming together. Because one of the reasons that, for example, Richmond blesses so many people is because a small church may not have the means to train their folks. And so they send them to the farm to get some training before they go. And that's a that's not a bad thing. But I think actually, if we can find, whether it's in our city or in our given area and network with a handful of churches and agree, we all want to send people to the nations. You know what? We individually can't have one person that focuses on a long-term mobilization, but as a group of four or five churches, I bet from our four or five churches, we could find two people that did want to focus on this. And we're going to pick a hub city, probably the largest city of those, you know, if it's not all the same city, we're going to have a hub city and we're going to bring, and we're going to agree, this isn't sheep stealing or anything like that, but we're going to agree that these two folks are going to train 
the potential goers or missionaries that we're going to send to them. We've all looked at their curriculum. We've all, this is where we want to share the resources that we have. If people are like, what do you do in, in the nine months? You can certainly come up with your own and there's other ones out there. We're more than happy to share the resources we have both for the 10 week and the nine month. But at the very least, maybe nine months seems too big. So again, I'd probably go back to order a book about making disciples, whether it's the, you know, the Bob McNabb one or another one that just helps that group of people start to make disciples and commits to it every week. Like we have folks sign a covenant. And so I think that says, Hey, I'm going to commit these next 10 weeks to three, two, one. And so all that to say, that's probably a longer thing than I needed to say, but it's just finding a network of churches that would say, we're going to together do this and then find our two people that are going to really oversee long-term mobilization. Yeah, that's really helpful. I appreciate you mentioning that and even thinking through how churches can network together, maybe in an association or based on kind of a like-minded identity or something along those lines. All right, I want to switch now to kind of a lightning round, so kind of some shorter, quicker responses. I think I know the answer to this first one because you talked about it a little bit, but I'd love to hear you flesh it out a little bit. Do you think it's important for pastors from the pulpit to do an all-call or a missions call or challenge people to consider serving cross-culturally? Yes. <laughs> and what's fun is sometimes I do that. Tomorrow, Kevin Peck, our lead pastor, is going to rip the nations. And so making sure we've done other ones where different congregational pastors do that so that it's not always the nations guy or not always. And then in May, again, another one of our main preaching pastors, Ross, is going to step in and, and speak on the nations and invite people to consider should they be a goer. Okay, good. Fill in the blank here, Andy. The biggest obstacles to developing a sending pipeline is blank. I wrote down three, prayer, priority, and team. Lack of prayer, lack of priority, lack of team. Okay. So if you're not praying, if it's not important to you, and if you don't, if you haven't kind of gathered a group of people that are passionate about it, you're going to have a hard time getting this going. Yep. Okay. Another fill in the blank. One thing you would change if you had to do it all over again in terms of developing a sending pipeline. One thing you would change would be blank. Being so eager to get this thing started. When we moved down here, it's just like, man, we just want to blow the doors off. And there's a little bit of just approval idol. And it's just like, we want to show them that we were worth it, you know? And man, if I had to do it all over those first few years, there were several leaders that should have just cooked longer. What I mean by that is after just one year of training, we sent them out the door because we were excited for them to go. And some of those folks continued, but struggled for way longer than they needed to. And had they stayed for another year or two, I think we could have helped them work through some of those, those issues. And so the other one that I'd say is, as you're starting your pipeline, challenge folks that want to go to stick around for two or three years and help you get the pipeline started. That's the bet. You're like, I don't know who I would have as this mobilization team. Recruit the people that want to go and say, mobilize for a season and then go. And it will actually be the best leadership development or development in general that you could give to them before they go and basically do the exact same thing among the unreached. Yeah, I love that. All right, Andy, last question. If a church wants to start developing a sending pipeline today, where do you think they should start? Yeah, I'll go back to those three of just pray, 
that God would do it, figure out what is the way that we're going to help our people get this conviction to see all the peoples reach the world. And then where practically can our folks learn how to actually make disciples in the community, like brand new disciples. And so what is our hands-on training? And so I think if, if you start with those three and that happened in 2022, you'd be getting ready to be pregnant with goers. Andy, thank you so much for your time and for the conversation today. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks so much. To hear more conversations like this, please subscribe to this podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening to this episode. Thank you for joining us on Amazon to the Himalayas. This podcast is brought to you by the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary. Please visit our website, www.sbts.edu slash bgs where you can subscribe to the show and learn more. Also, if you have found these conversations helpful, please leave us a comment or a review and encourage your friends to subscribe to the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for more. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast.